State of Digital Publishing is a startup market research publisher producing a publication and community for digital media publishing professionals, content, and media owners in new media and publishing technology. In this episode, we speak with Neil Michael, International Chief Revenue Officer at Foundry, about how IDG rebranded to Foundry. Foundry is at the intersection of media and MarTech. Our industry is about people, not machines. Algorithms, optimization, and automation play a role in what we do, but connections and trusted relationships are vital. Let's begin. Hi, Neil. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's really great to have you on board on our podcast for today. There's a lot of little conversations in between what we're speaking about, but I think the main thing that I want to cover with you today is obviously the rebrand that IDG, which is now called Foundry, has has gone through. But um, before we sort of go into deep dive into that, Neil, it'll be great to just get a bit of background about you and and then we can get straight into sort of the, the journey that Foundry has taken. So yeah, we'll just speak yeah. that, but you, Neil, that'd be great. No problem at all. So, um, yes, look, my name is Neil Michael. I'm the International Chief Revenue Officer uh, for Foundry and look after all of Foundry's commercial teams all around the world outside of the US. So we we kind of split our business. Um, you know, we're, we're obviously a US HQ company. So we, we, we have a you know, big commercial operation in the US and then we have our teams around the world. So that's kind of how we look at our businesses, sort of US and then rest of world. I look after, you know, rest of world. And roughly that's that's 50% of company company revenue. So we're, we're I think it's like 51, 49 or something like that. But roughly half half the company revenues are, are outside the US. Half the company revenues are obviously inside the US, as you know, the US is the biggest technology, domestic technology market in the world. So you would you would kind of think, yeah, the US is the biggest market. But yeah, you know, very strong internationally as well. And it's uh, yeah, absolute honor to um to lead those commercial teams all around the world. Awesome. And um, how how long have you been in the industry for? And and how, how well, sort of led the... you to be get to this position where you are today? Yeah. So um, I've been actually in the technology kind of publishing or the technology media space for uh, about 22, 23 years now. So yep. a long time. I actually started off years ago actually representing the Ziff Davis Media Network in London. So we were you know, part of a, a small uh, media representative company and, and we represented you know, overseas publishers in the London market, obviously London being the biggest international media market in the world. And so, you know, I did that for about 10 years and obviously competed against IDG for 10 years. And then, uh, yeah, IDG um, yeah, came after me. And um, in 2005, I joined, joined IDG uh, as an individual contributor uh, within the sales team in London. And, uh, you know, over the 16 years that I've been part of the company, uh, worked my way through the sales ranks and, and obviously then to lead teams and now to lead the, the, the whole of the international business. So um, it's been quite a ride over the last 16 years. Lucky them. All, all I can say now, you know, they've passed the point. <laughs> so, yeah. Neil, so I think, yeah, I think the big elephant in the room like, is basically, you know, IDG, now Foundry, they re- went on the journey of rebranding last year. Before we also started this conversation, you mentioned that, it was also acquired by Blackstone. I guess before we go into the process of the journey, like there's quite a bit of this conversation towards the end of last year and even towards the beginning of this year. Publishers trying to grow through acquisition, through SPACs, which was a very you know hot trend. Was that something that was an influence or was that something that sort of helped you, help the company itself to go through that acquisition and rebrand, uh, despite okay. all that noise that, that was happening in the background? 
Yeah, so let, before I kind of dive into, you know, why the rebrand, let me get, just give you a little bit more context on the sort of history of IDG Communications. Sure. Because I, I, IDG Communications, we, 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 you know, we launched back in 1964. So actually we've had, you know, a lot of longevity as a, as a company. Can't believe that actually, you know, if you think about kind of technology publishing, we started back in 1964, um, you know, publishing with Computer World, you know, all around the world. And that grew into a global brand. And then other global brands followed off the back of that, right? So there was CIO Magazine, there was PC World, Mac World, InfoWorld, Network World, all of these different technology publications catering for different technology buying audiences, whether you're a CIO, you know, dealing with strategic, you know, IT investments, or you're, you know, a consumer of technology with PC World and Mac World, your IDG wanted to be there providing you with that buying advice. And, and that, you know, through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, we were very much kind of, you know, that that print publisher. Obviously, through the, yeah, as we bridged into, in, you know, from, from the 90s into the yeah, early 2000s, we were really focused as a business on, on really growing and transforming from a print publisher to a digital publisher. And that was kind of our first big transformation. And actually, IDG at the time were held up as an example of, you know, this transformation, this the way that um, you know publishers should be thinking about that transformation. Actually, we had our kind of inflection point. I think it was back in 2000 and, uh, 2009 where actually our digital revenues outstripped our print revenues, and we were we were pretty early on in that in that transformation. But and now we're going through another transformation, and 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 the reason that we're going through this uh, this this transformation is we've got relationships with technology marketeers all around the world. And, and we were consistently hearing through all of those conversations that we have with technology marketeers, uh, you know, pretty consistent themes that were coming through as far as the, the challenges that technology marketeers were facing. And, you know, they kept talking to us about the disconnect between sales and marketing within their own organization and how marketing is you know, in B2B marketing and certainly in the tech category, you know, marketing is their, their goals and their KPIs are very pipeline and results orientated, right? How do we feed this, their sales organizations with pipeline and measurable results? And how do they close that gap between their sales actions and, and, and their marketing activity? But we also kept hearing about, you know, a lack of integrated and trustworthy data providers especially when you get outside of the US and into the international markets, you know, technology marketeers want to use data within their marketing uh, environments to, to target, to understand what's working, to measure, to scale. And ultimately, you know, there's just this lack of trustworthy data providers out there in the marketplace. And then the other thing that we kept hearing about from marketeers all the time is just complexity, the complexity that B2B marketeers are dealing with both inside and outside their own organizations and really you know they're looking for for simplicity and ultimately you know we came to the conclusion as a company as as idg communications that to be able to solve for these marketing challenges that, that you know are pretty ubiquitous out in the marketplace you need a combination of media of data and marketing technology all working together to be able to solve for those customer pain points and that's really where we're thinking very differently about our business yeah, our business used to be, you know, an advertising driven business. Now our business is driven by data and marketing technology and, and how we engineer that data and that marketing technology to work together to be able to solve for those those customer pain points is really where we're kind of headed as a as a business. 
and and we're thinking you know that doesn't mean that our media brands and the media side of our business isn't isn't still crucial to that that model because it absolutely is it's just we're thinking about our media business in different ways and we really feel we really um think about our media business and our media brands as that connection to the buyers all around the world you know that's how we have relationships with our customers customers yeah. And but it's also how we collect the data and we understand that audience that then powers the marketing technology that then can deliver the solutions for our customers. And that's that's really kind of how we're thinking about our business now. And fundamentally, the rebrand is all about that repositioning. You know, if, if you've been a, a publisher since 1964, then the market thinks of IDG Communications as a publisher. But ultimately, we want to be seen now in the market as a as a marketing technology and data company. And so that's what the rebrand is all about: as us becoming Foundry, leaving that leaving that led honouring that legacy as a as a publisher. Still, that publishing business is still very important to us, as I say, as the fuel for for our data business. Really, it's about kind of you know almost kind of shaking off that kind of publisher image and becoming a true data and marketing technology company. And that's that's really what the rebrand is all about. What led the company to call it Foundry? Like what the name was the meaning behind okay. it? Yeah, so that's um so that's an interesting question. So Foundry, as you as you might know, a foundry back in the day, you know, you think about you know the the, the original meaning of that word, it was ultimately somewhere where you cast with metal. Right. And we, you know, if you think about the old printing presses and casting with metal, and and, and so you know, there's that 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 link to our, our kind of history. But what we're also thinking about now, a foundry is fundamentally where things were made. And now what we're doing is we're the new type of foundry because we're making solutions with data and with marketing technology, and and we're innovating with data and marketing technology. And as I say, engineering those two things to work together to be able to solve for our customer pain points. So, you know, it's, it's kind of that honouring of our heritage and where we've come from, but it's also, you know, how do we become the new type of foundry for our customers where we're crafting, you know, more modern solutions for our customers? Yeah, what what is the modern day metal, which is data and technology? Interesting. No, thank you for that background. I think that's, uh, I, I didn't know that, so that's very interesting to know. Yeah, with the rebranding, and then you said that it got acquired by Blackstone. So. How did that come into the landscape and looking at the bigger picture with everything that's going on, that was going on with a lot of mergers happening? Yeah, we were previously previously owned by China Oceanwide, the, the, the Chinese investment company, and are working on this strategy when actually we weren't, you know, from what I understand, we weren't out in the market and kind of you know, looking to be, be sold. But you know, various companies came in for us. And we really just see this as a, a, you know, a huge validation of our strategy, right? You know, it's not that Blackstone have come in, bought the company and then imposed imposed this strategy. We were, we were well on this path to being a marketing technology and data company before Blackstone came in. But what a validation, you know, for, for that company strategy that Blackstone are uh, you know, buying into that strategy, buying into the team that are delivering that strategy for the business, but ultimately just, you know, providing a lot more financial muscle for us to be able to execute against that strategy and you know much quicker. Absolutely, no, that's that's good to hear. So it just yeah, the validation really helped. Um, I'm not sure if you were part of the pitch part uh, stage, but would, do you have any advice to anyone that would want to attract investment to show the validation that you guys have shown? What's the best way to present and get that buy-in from another? Yeah, company? so look, I, I wasn't in the I wasn't in the um, the team sure. that actually then 
presented to uh, to Blackstone. But I think, um, you know, from what I understand, it's yeah, that was that was more at the investment company level that 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 conversation was kind of yeah originated from. But ultimately, it's you know just have a, a very well defined. You know, we had a very well defined strategy. We were executing against that, and then I think you know that that's when Blackstone came in and 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 wanted to invest. So yeah, look, I, I wasn't involved in the um, you know in that process particularly. Oh, that's fair enough. No, I appreciate the, the the transparency on that. Yeah, I think as well. Like um, you also mentioned in that time, because there's there's, been, there's quite a bit of things happening. You mentioned that Foundry as a company itself was also making some acquisitions. So how did that? When did that happen? And sort of how did that help strengthen the the validation that you were looking to make in the market? Yes, yeah, so we, we as I say, we were on this path before before Blackstone came in. And actually, the first acquisition that we made was uh, we bought a company about 18 months ago called Triblio. Uh, and Triblio is an ABM uh, SaaS execution platform. So mm-hmm. it's, 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 a, it's a SaaS software as a service product that allows our customers to execute and to orchestrate their own account-based marketing programs. When you have a publisher like IDG Communications buying a SaaS MarTech business, suddenly you know people start to sit up and take notice. Right? Well, hang on a minute. Why are IDG, you know, this this tech publisher, suddenly coming in and buying you know this this ABM platform? And it's it's these types of of moves that we were making that I think you know ultimately caught the attention of the market, but certainly is also captured the imagination of our customers and you know since that first acquisition we've also made three other uh, acquisitions over the last kind of 18 months so the first was Triblio the ABM execution platform then the second acquisition that we made was Kickfire Kickfire is um the the leading IPR masking technology which basically allows you to understand your site's visitors and 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 the accounts that are coming you know, to your site. So it you know, really unlocks your first party data intelligence as a tool. The, the third acquisition that we made was, was LeadSift. Uh, and LeadSift is a, a, an intent data company. In fact, you know, uh, has an incredible technology and incredible AI that powers um, that intent data uh, tool. And the, the final acquisition that we made, which was our largest acquisition, was Selling Simplified. And Selling Simplified are a demand uh, demand gen uh, platform. And there was really kind of three things that we liked about the Selling Simplified deal. One, it was their, their incredible data set, um, yeah, over 200 million technology buyer data set. It was the technology that they had inside their organization to activate that data set. And then it was there that, you know, they're also a global company in the same way that, that at the time IDG Communications was. I think we were just uh, still IDG Communications when we made that that last acquisition. So, you know, we've made four uh, different acquisitions. I, I would say the common thread between those acquisitions are, you know, it's, it's about data and enha- enhancing our proprietary data set. And it's about technology to be able to activate that data set. And if you think about that direction that I was talking about as, as you know, from, from Foundry, you know, being that marketing technology and data company, we already had a pretty rich data set from our media brands and our media business. But these acquisitions add to that data set. They, mm-hmm. they allow us to continually you know, enhance that data set and, and grow that data set. And then the technology also allows us to activate. And that's, you know, that's really kind of the, the the core because that's ultimately what mark b2b tech marketeers are looking for yes they're looking for the data sets there's there's a lack of quality first party data data sets out in the market but they always they they also want activation 
And there's two ways you can activate with Foundry. You can you can activate on a managed service, so you can let us activate that data set for you and deliver you know, a, a lead outcome or an advertising outcome or build you a bright brand to demand program. Or you can you can become a SaaS customer by our execution platform and and execute that with inside your own with inside your own environments as well. So you know there's there's various ways in which we're supporting and and building a Martech stack and a product stack to be able to support our marketing customers all around the world. No wonder it was a good proposition for Blackstone to come in. Like it just sounds like the way that you ex- explain things, it just sounds like magic, not magically, but you know, it just all of it came into good timing and everything That's came right. into place. Right. Well, look, um, yeah, we've we've executed on that strategy, um, you know, pretty well up till now, and we will continue yeah. to, to execute on that strategy. You know, we're not... Uh, we're not finished building out those capabilities where, you know, and we're not, we're not finished on the acquisition path either. You know, we're, we're, we're still, you know, pretty active as far as the M&A activity is concerned. And, and again, it's, you know, on that pathway, but certainly, you know, we're, we're, we're making some good strides over the last kind of 18 months and, uh, and we'll, you know, we'll continue with that product roadmap. What are some of the things that you've learned? I think obviously with the M&A happening now and you know with that announcement officially happening and that's still happening now there's obviously going to be challenges with integration and particularly being able to enable that for particular publishing brands like what are some of the sort of lessons that you've learned to date on that and um yeah how is that influencing sort of the new products that you're driving yeah so i'll take that separately because there's there's two kind of questions there there's one about kind of the integration piece and then there's the 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 new product piece but on the integration side of things yeah we, we've learned a lot from our first acquisition when we, when we bought Triplio I think it started you know it took us about 18 months to start that kind of integration process and we wanted to be quite slow and purposeful uh, about it the latest acquisition which was selling simplified you know we're, we're kind of six months into that deal and we're already a long way down a, down an integration path so I think we're getting better integrating companies you know as we get more experienced at it but the other thing that we really look look for and i was lucky enough to be involved in the selling simplified deal from a relatively early stage and one of the things that that struck me is the chemistry between the two teams because that's really really important it's not just about the data and the technology you have to sit across the table from the team you know the two teams sit across the table through the due diligence process and ultimately, yes, you're working out, is this company, has it got the assets that, that, that we really need to, to fuel our strategy? But you're also thinking, is this a team that I can work with and, and that we can work with? And I think you know, that's where we've also yeah, had a lot of success uh, bringing in those acquisitions because we're not just you know acquiring the company, the data, the technology, but we're also acquiring the people and the talent pool that is in those businesses. And, you know, Triblio, the CEO and founder of Triblio, a guy called Andre Yi, he's now Foundry's chief product officer. Right. And so he's, you know, he comes from that technology background and now he's our chief product officer. You know, um, Toucan, who, who was the CEO of Leadsift, he's also uh, owns our intent product. So we're starting to put, you know, some of these key people that have come from these acquisitions into key roles with Inside Foundry because it's also unlocking the skill sets that exist within these within these companies as well, and I think that's been uh, that's been a, a another huge success. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, part of the, those acquisitions. No, that's interesting. I've noticed that as well for other tech integrations. Well, I think that there might be some risk as well on um, the those founders potentially leaving or something. Like so, like how are you able to then spreading that knowledge, making that part of the core new offering? Yeah. How 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 can you do that? And particularly 
when you're working on USA and then the rest of the world, which each the rest of the world has its own different little markets. How do That's you right. sort of apply apply that? Learnings? So, so we have strong, strong regional and local leadership with Inside Foundry that works with those with you know, with those teams. But it's also about just spending time with the people and getting to know each other and and let's not rush in. Let's really understand you know the processes and the people and start to uh, and actually we haven't had a lot of people leave from from any of those acquisitions and i think you know foundry as a business has got a really good culture and and i think you know obviously the companies that we buy have a unique culture as well but it's it's really important that you know as a company foundry you know take care of it you know really takes care of it of its people it's a very people orientated business and i think when people join the business through acquisition i think they can feel that and they feel that through you know spending time with the people you know inside foundry and and actually we've been we've been very successful at, at, at retaining um, you know key staff through the acquisitions that's really nice to hear how have those founders i think leading into the second question that i said before about new products how does the integration now give you a clear roadmap on what kind of products you have to define for the future yeah. and how much of the founders' roles of those companies is a part of that, or is that yeah. something? Uh, yeah, how, can, if we can go down to those two points. Yeah, absolutely. So, as I say, we've been on this path to be a, a marketing technology and data company for for the last kind of eighteen months or so. The big thing that that we're working on at the moment, um, yeah, back in Q four last year, we launched um, yeah our first intent product. Mm-hmm. And that that's where we're really powering kind of advertising or lead based outcomes for our customers, you know, with with our first party intent data. But you know, since then we've been we've been developing the next iteration of that of that product because that's the other thing that we want to try and get in the mindset of. It's not like we launch a product that's the product and it stays that way forever. We're we're, we're getting into the mindset of a technology company where where there's. You know, different product releases and upgrades and and you know you launch a product but then further down the line you launch the next version of that product and it's it's an upgrade and and so we're starting to get into that kind of mentality that tech um that tech-based mentality of of, of product enhancements and, and a product roadmap so in october this year we'll launch um you know the next iteration of foundry foundry's intent product mm-hmm. um and and we believe you know, it will be the leading intent product in the marketplace because at, at the moment, if you look, if you look at the intent in the intent market, really most intent providers are taking uh, digital online signals and using those to to kind of understand in a particular account is there over indexing happening against certain topics given a baseline for that account. And and does that allow you to kind of understand that you know something's happening in, in that account? aligned to a particular product area that a marketeer could use as intelligence to go, okay, we should be targeting that particular account. And that's basically how all all intent solutions work around the world. But we believe as a a company that actually buying teams within uh, end user organizations that are working on technology investments, there's lots of people attached to that technology purchase process. And as that company moves through that technology purchase process, there's all sorts of different signals that that buying team gives off. It's not just the articles that the people are engaging with on websites. It's you know the events that their executives will be attending and the types of topics that they're engaging with. It's yeah. Yeah, even down to the types of uh, the types of skill sets 
that that company is hiring for at any given time. Right. That's a big indication, in indicator of what type of projects are going on, what types of skill sets are they hiring for? And, and how does that, you know, and so there's lots of different signals that are thrown that are thrown off by organizations as they go through these technology purchase processes. And we're building through you know, our acquisitions and, th and through the technology, uh, we're building the richest uh, proprietary intent data set for B2B tech marketeers you know, that exists. It's taking in, into you know, all of these different types of signals. And we also have what we call human verified data. So this is yep. the other thing that's completely unique to Foundry is the fact that we uh, we have events. People are turning up to our events. We can see what topics they're actually interested in. That's a really high value signal, but it's human verified. We can see the person's actually turned up to the event. You know, we've also got a contact center that you know talks to, to, to IT buyers around you know what projects they're working on at the moment, covering 47 languages, you know, literally having millions of conversations with IT buyers around the world. And so, you know, we've got human verified data, we've got online data, and we've got data from across the web, because that's really what kind of LeadSIF gives us as well. And, and looking at all of these different types of signals, we're building the ubiquitous and you know, what will become the number one uh, intent data product for the market. And we launched that in October this year. And again, we're thinking about, you know, that's going to be a subscription based product where we're going to use technology to collect that, to connect that intent data you know, absolutely straight within our clients' environments and straight within that client ecosystem, so they can use and action um, that that intent data within their uh, within their own environments as a subscription. And so, you know, we really that's that's the kind of pathway that we're taking as we look to build both our SaaS and our intent subscription businesses. You know, and and it's really around that: how does that data and that marketing technology work together to solve for those those customer pain points that I was talking about earlier? I. <laughs> I wish all these publishers had the solutions that you guys had. They have they have this much arsenal. Unfortunately, they don't. But yeah, it's very exciting to hear how you're able to combine all those two together. Do you feel like that, you know, there's obviously different solutions that are coming out for post-cookie world. Like, do you feel like intent-based is the way forward? And Yeah, I, I, absolutely. You, you know, I think at the moment, the, the, the average B2B marketeer is already using three intent sources. So, you know, intent is becoming, you know, as I say, pretty ubiquitous out in the marketplace, right? Um, and it's ultimately because in B2B, what are technology marketeers, you know, what do they want to do? They want to, you know, identify which companies um, and which accounts are in market for their given solution at any mm -hmm. given time, right? That's that's what they want. You know, as a B2B marketeer, you want to accelerate pipeline and for your sales organization, that's how your goal, that's how your KPI, that's what you focus on. Uh, and intent data allows you to do that, right? That it allows you to understand if you've got um, you know, a cybersecurity solution, it allows you to understand who's in market for a cybersecurity solution right now. And then it allows you to target those accounts. What, what we're building is, uh, and what, you know, one of the things, one of the ways in which Foundry's intent solution will be so unique is that we're not just identifying the accounts but we're actually also identifying the individuals within those accounts. And that's where, you know, Foundry's intent data solution is going to be, is going to be truly unique. It's going to be, you know, a, a totally global data set. That's unique. It's not just going to have accounts, but it's also going to have contacts. That's, that's really unique. 
how do we also integrate that with marketing technology for you to be able to activate? And that's the other thing that's really unique with Foundry. Other intent providers, you can take the intent and then it's up to you to work out how you activate with Foundry because we've got the intent data and the marketing technology. You know, it's much, much easier to then activate that intent and drive and drive performance. I look forward to hopefully speaking to you next year to see how things have progressed as you've launched the product. I think, you know, like you've touched upon, like B2B marketers and particularly B2B focused publishers have that challenge of trying to reach the customer's customers. So for those yeah. more smaller publishers, I know that with Foundry, it's a lot more established. They've got the ammunition to really get there. What's some of the small steps that more B2B driven publishers can take to really help the client product to get to that similar path? Yeah. As so you guys? It's really all about um, you know, collecting and understanding your first party data. That's that's ultimately where it starts. And I think publishers have had very much an advertising-based model. And we had a, a you know, for, for years we had an advertising-driven model. Now, we, now as I say, we've got an, a, a data and a marketing technology-driven business. Actually, advertising now or pure play advertising now accounts for you know, less than ten percent of our revenue globally. Yeah, that will give you some idea of that that kind of shift. But publishers should be collecting and understanding their first-party data. And then thinking about how they can put that first party data to, to work to deliver solutions for their customers, right? Be, be more data driven because fundamentally that's what marketeers want. And, and we started out very much with, with just a demand generation business, right? You know, how do we collect subscribers to our opt-in database? And then how do we use that opt-in database to drive, you know, content syndication programs for our customers? And, and we built yeah, a huge demand generation business. That was our first kind of move into being a data-driven organization. And our strategy has kind of developed from there. But that's that's you know how publishers and you know should be thinking about, about this type of stuff. Does demand generation have more intricacies that like we given GDPR and everything else? And how do you sort of navigate yeah, through that? Absolutely, absolutely. But it's it's you know, that's about um, having an opted in audience and that's where publishers have a real real advantage because they have the relationships with the audience they just need to think about you know okay what services and you know am i going to provide that allows that audience to opt in and then you know you give the right opt in and the right privacy statements and you're very transparent on that then you can handle the data in a gdpr compliant way and then again it's just about privacy and opt in and making sure that you're transparent with the way that you're you're working with data both to your customers and to your and to your audiences, but um, yeah, we're one hundred percent GDPR compliant. In fact, we you know we go go further than G- GDPR in a lot of countries. But yeah, it's it's just about working in that very transparent way. So that's awesome. I think the other thing as well is um, there's been more of a trend on ABX. Is that more of a jargon jargon term, or is that still no? What account based marketing? There's, they they have ABM and then they have ABX, which is I think an extension of account-based marketing yeah is there a difference towards those two and is that something that publishers have to also factor in when they want to well look, I, I, I think certainly within b2b marketing and certainly within the technology vertical that we serve you know account-based marketing is just a huge trend if you think about what i just described with with intent data yeah which is yeah understanding which accounts are in market for your solution at any given time and then being able to target those those accounts and activate those accounts that is account-based marketing, right? Because you're uh, revealing which accounts you want to target and then you're targeting those accounts, uh, accounts very specifically. 
that's a form of, of, of account-based marketing. Obviously, account-based marketing goes from kind of, you know, one-to-many all the way down to one-to-one. One-to-one uh, is very different. But, you know, account-based marketing is, uh, again, is, you know, pretty pervasive across across B2B, certainly uh, across B2B tech marketing. But I, I, I think, you know, more broadly just across B2B. And, and as we get more data-driven, and as marketeers mm. want to, you know, shortcut to, to accelerate pipeline and, and deliver those results that we've talked about, I, I think it's just going to become more and more of a focus. There's a lot more individual tech journalists that are also trying to get into that lucrative B2B space because obviously they, they have the insights and Intel being an insider on covering certain aspects as well. My question to you is like in terms of creating a product, that has a small, very small team. Is there an importance of having a salesperson or do you think that the founder or the person with the knowledge expertise can get to the point of learning to do demand generation and being able to eventually expand out this and create a sales team to, to really move towards a, a path that Foundry is on, essentially? I guess I'm also trying to tackle more of the niche small publishers that are our audience and because a lot of them I feel like struggle with you know, they're, they're very subject matter experts, but how does that make that a commercial viable business if they don't have the ammunition that Foundry has? Yeah, so look, I think, first of all, build the product and then give it to your sales team to to go out and, and, and sell, right? And also talk to, talk to your customers before you start building the product. Start talking to your customers about if you, if, if you did build the product, would they be interested in buying it and tiptoe your way in that way, right? Don't Don't build the product behind closed doors. That's something that we you know, we're certainly you know learning as a business is you you need customer feedback as you build as you build product and as you build solutions and you have that kind of feedback that feedback loop because actually sometimes as a business you you create you know product features and then actually when you take them to market they're not the product features that that your customers really value and so I would say um, you know have that customer feedback. Think about the data set that you've got in your organizer in your organization. If you're a smaller publisher, how can you put it to work? But ultimately, talk to your customers about what 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 do they need, and where are they struggling, and then how can you solve for those those pain points? And that's really kind of yeah you know, how the foundry strategy started. Was just yeah you know, as as I said earlier, you know we're out talking to customers all around the world, and we keep hearing these themes come back of of you know. The, the, the disconnect between sales and marketing, you know, them the, the being measured on pipeline and, 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 and results. There's this lack of quality data out there and it's it's uh, that the powers their marketing processes and marketing functions. And ultimately it led us to, to develop the strategy that we now have as Foundry. So yeah, that would be my, that would be my advice. Listen, listen to your customers. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Have that feedback loop over from the beginning. No, that's thank you. Fundamental advice. Yeah. I mean, we spoke about quite a few of the pain points and, trends industry-wide like more looking ahead are you seeing any challenges that as a company or you know as an individual that you're excited about or something that we need to be more mindful of like for example whether it's privacy issues with apple or you know other tech trends that b2b marketers have to be aware of is there any advice you can give around that yeah so that's so, so that's it that's an interesting one because obviously you've got the you know the deprecation of the third party cookie you've got google kind of murmuring that yeah eventually they're going to take it away although they keep they keep rolling back on that they, they set a date and then they roll back back from it actually i just think that that's that's good news for publishers yeah that's why still our media business is so fundamental to to us because it allows us to collect first party and proprietary data and and actually i just think that's going to be the long term trend and that's why actually we believe that media data and marketing 
marketing technology have got to work together because as the third party cookie eventually goes away and i think we all feel like yeah eventually it will disappear first party data proprietary data is going to be it's just going to be more and more valuable but and that's that's why we we value our media business and our media brand so well it's why we're connecting that with data and technology and it's it's you know those three pieces that you fundamentally need if you're going to solve for b2b marketeers pain points so yeah we actually think the market is moving towards us as far as as far as that's concerned and actually you know that's a positive trend from where we were when you know there was a lot of data leakage and and you know again this people accessing data through the bitstream and and you know providing third party data providers and you were never really sure where the data was coming from and they were executing programmatic deals and and, and driving down cpms for publishers that was a pretty tough environment for publishers but actually you know we feel certainly that the market is now moving more towards sort of the publisher model of having connections deep connections with audiences and and, and and communities and understanding those communities and then you know collecting first party data sets that then you know you could put to work to solve for marketeers pain points and and, and to deliver for for your customers you know I, I think yeah there's a lot of trends that are actually driving towards that that model uh, not away from it if that makes sense no and um i really appreciate your response it's interesting like typically people would talk about and say, oh, this particular trend's coming up. You have to be mindful of this, da, 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 da. you have to start planning ahead. But your take is, I, I like your take, is it's, it's refreshing in the sense that it's coming back to us. So yeah, no, I, I sorry, I appreciate your feedback because it was sort of the inverse of what other people said and it makes sense. So yeah, um, absolutely. I guess just to round up our conversation, is there any final advice you'd give about rebrands or uh, or is there any professional advice that you want to give about your career to our audience yeah uh, as far as the rebrand is concerned look i, th- I think we've been we, we've been pretty successful obviously it launched in february so it's still it's still relatively early days but certainly since launch we've been really really pleased with the reception that we've had both in, you know i think the market has responded really well i think our customers have responded really well to the rebrand but i think as importantly our employees have have really responded uh, well to the to, to the rebrand, and I think everyone inside the business now really understands the direction that we're on as a company, and that is actually really excited about the direction that we're that we're on. It's a great time to be at Foundry, and with our product roadmap, but the investment that Blackstone and are being able to provide, yeah, it's really really changing our kind of mindset to be you know a high growth company, and 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 that's super exciting, right? So yeah, certainly on on the rebrand side of things, I think things have gone have gone pretty well. Um, as far as you know, personal advice on your career, I think yeah, I've always you know tried to you know just have be you know honest, work hard, and and ultimately be be close to your customers, and 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 if you're in sales, and I've always been in sales, listen to your customers, and and ultimately. You know, that's going to lead you lead you to success right and 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 that's what I've always tried to do and I think as a business we've always tried to do that as well as a business it's one of the reasons why we've remained relevant to the marketplace since 1964 is because we we haven't been afraid to listen to the market we haven't been afraid to change because of what the market's telling us and and this this is just the latest transformation from IDG communications into foundry. And, and we've been relevant to the market for the last 60 years. We hope we're going to be relevant with this strategy for the next 60 years. But it all comes for being really close to your customers and listening intently to, to what they're telling you. 
follow the cheese, as you say, Neil. So with that, I really appreciate your time and uh, your advice on our podcast. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.